composable commerce is the general category name that's clearly emerged as the winner. Um, Gardner first mentioned it in the 2021 Magic Quadrant for Digital Commerce. Um, very clearly, composable is the business level term. And probably what it means is the ability to compose a user experience from different components, right? From different pieces. All that and more on the Commerce Tomorrow podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Commerce Tomorrow podcast. I'm Kelly Gage, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dirk. Welcome, Dirk. Hey, Kelly. By popular demand, we are back with another one-to-one -one episode where we're going to spend this time talking about the market, uh, some commerce tools updates, um, the economy. Uh, what else are we going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> let's see. But for a, a long time, we're also sharing the same room, right? So that's not a remote recording. Uh, we're actually both in Amsterdam now. Uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be doing this across the table for once. Uh, we used to do them more often in person, but yeah, with travel these days, it's kind of difficult. So um, we just wrapped up an offsite, a Commerce Tools offsite in Amsterdam. Um, what are some key takeaways that, uh, that you want to share? Any uh, highlights? Yeah, let me maybe explain what these offsites are, um, because I get asked about our operational model uh, quite often um, from uh, sometimes startup founders to uh, large corporate uh, CEOs that have the same challenge that they're running a global business. Well, on the startup side, often not yet much, but they think about as they're growing or they should develop. Um, but as we are running a, a global business, we have a distributed C-level organization where uh, almost half of the team uh, is in the US, the other half of the team is in Europe. How do we actually steer and drive the company? How do we create alignment? Uh, how do we find time to debate and discuss strategy? And um, with multiple um, tools, um, I would say, and one of them is that we say we have strategic offsites every quarter where we group um, as a C-level team, um, well-prepared uh, with support of our um, strategy team. and discuss the themes that are at least 12 months out. Um, so let's focus on the day-to-day -day operations with other formats uh, to orchestrate uh, communication and alignment for that. Um, but more about what do we need to do like in 24, 25? How do we think that the market is going to develop? Uh, how do we see the company uh, developing in that kind of pace? What should we do on products? How do we believe in go-to-market? What are areas to invest in? What are areas to uh, not touch? So, and therefore we have these kind of offsites and it's really uh, undistracted environment, um, uh, lots of discussions, giving the room for discussions and debates, uh, and of course also some quality time, right? So that maybe, maybe, um, to share, um, it's a really good format that we have developed, uh, and, and are living now since, uh, well, basically straight after COVID, uh, I would say, so almost now one and a half years that we've, um, operated that, uh, and now looking into, into the last two days um, intense sessions, uh, what we can share. So one, of course, we always share a little bit on how's the market developing, how's the uh, broader competitive landscape developing, um, what are adjacent categories, what kind of moves do we see there? And uh, for us, right, so um, it, 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 which is fascinating to see, and, and I, we all have thought, let's say five years ago, um, is the market that we're operating in is basically getting getting bigger and bigger. 
um, from quarter to quarter, and it's more and more moving towards our direction. And and why is it? It's because of this the volatile environment, right? So and and volatile from a negative perspective. Of course, we have with war, we have recession, inflation. Before that, we had COVID, uh, which is driving from macro effects uh, all different kind of uh, um, uh, creating business impact uh, and and personal impact. But uh, we also see volatility on the consumer behavior, right? So because of more touch points, more devices, changing business models, uh, uh, always uh, thriving for convenience and so on. And that's of course creating challenges for the, the brands and retailers. So therefore the demand for flexibility and scalability to build resilience is constantly increasing. And even in 2023, it was it's more important than it was 2022 and 2022 was more important even than 2021. So, which is great for us. Um, it's also interesting to see that our competition, except on being creative on marketing, um, <laughs> which, which is, I know it's harsh, I know it sounds arrogant. I think everybody who knows us and is talking more closely with us um, um, will agree or that publicly disagree for whatever kind of uh, reason that they have. But at the end, nobody is sitting down three years locking themselves and building the products to fix the problems that these brands and retailers have. They're just coming out with claims and that's not that's not solving the problem. So therefore we we had been ahead of the market where we're now since four or five years in a row growing faster than anybody else on absolute numbers. And uh, uh, now the market is even more opening up. So that that is one of the things that we are looking at because definitely with significantly more opportunities in front of us that we can pursue and what are the ones that we pick and not, right? So that's a, that's a constant debate that we have. Where do we double down? What do we put on pause for a moment and might then uh, look at in six to 12 months again? Um, so that's one. Uh, the other part is that we uh, looked at the um, composable uh, market, so the customers that really need that flexibility versus those that run better, for example, with a Shopify kind of all-in solution, right? So what what, what are the different business problems? Uh, where are these customers fitting in? For us, it's a market of more than 40,000 businesses, right? So with each of them doing more than 100 million a year that are striving for, for um, more flexibility, scalability in a combination of operating the digital part of the business at lower cost, so increasing efficiency and um, putting putting focus on innovation. Um, what was exciting, we had a surprise guest, so uh, uh, which um, uh, most people knew that she would be coming, obviously, as they have been part of the process, but not that she's already attending um, this offsite because she hasn't officially started yet. I cannot tell as much, but we will have a new um, C-level colleague uh, complimenting our team, um, and uh, she was already part um, of those two days, uh, which had been great. Um, and we didn't manage to scare her off. <laughs> still excited. That's good. Uh, so she she's hopefully uh, not regretting it. If she was honest, I, I don't believe so. Uh, um, there would be a bigger announcement uh, on the beginning of June uh, when she's officially getting into the seat. Um, we also always look at the two years ahead. So there's a constant pattern um, that we have. Like two years ago, it was how do we get beyond 100 million? Um, now, West, we're past that point and are growing quickly. It's okay. Next step is the 500 million with an intermediate step, obviously, to getting to 250. 
um, uh, is, is uh, uh, the first part. So we always discuss, okay, where are we on track on getting to those numbers? How do we continue to grow quarter by quarter? Uh, one of the products that we need to provide to our customers, how do we further improve our process of getting there? How's uh, pipeline development? Uh, what are the geographies that we are in? Where do we need more data centers and so on? So we're always looking at the past, where do we believe we are in two to three years? And that's our 250 or through 250 to 500 million ARR growth. Um, and uh, how do we actually ensure from an operational excellence that we get there? And then we had really fascinating talks and, and we're bunch of discussions around the topic, and I, I wouldn't have expected uh, in what direction they turned, um, on generative AI, uh, which, well, everybody could say, well, that's obvious, um, but on the obvious topics we already looked, like all of the product descriptions, descriptions, imagery, landing page creation, all of the internal productivity where we uh, experiment and work with generative AI anyway across all of the departments, but we came up with things that we cannot mention. and. The, you are one of the <laughs> persons who will be leading that that group where we might figure out some even more radical approaches where we can work with generative AI and that we said we'll double down on that within the next couple of months uh, and see where this is uh, us leading that to. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, really good long-term discussions. So um, yeah, no, great summary. Yo, abs absolutely. So th that was good. Um, one of the... The um, discussions that we had uh, was also around um, composable commerce and MAC, which both belongs together, but is de describing a different piece or a different perspective of the use of modern retail or modern software uh, technologies out there. So um, can you... Describe where we are with the adoption, um, where we are, maybe also explain the terms, what's actually the difference between MUC and Composable, or is there one? Um, what have we discussed? Yeah, so Composable Commerce is the general category name that's clearly emerged as the winner. Um, Gardner first mentioned it in the 2021 Magic Quadrant for Digital Commerce. Um, very clearly, Composable is the business level term. And Broadly, what it means is the ability to compose a user experience from different components, right? From different pieces. Um, but it's very much a consumption thing, right? I, I'm working for a retailer um, who's in the enterprise space. I want to compose that experience. Um, MOC is more of the how do we do that? And MOC stands for microservices, um, APIs, cloud-native multi-tenant SaaS, and headless. So think of composable as the what mock is more of the technology focused the how and you know we've had some interesting discussions the past couple of days on just where we're at um my view and i i think it was the view that ultimately won out is we're still really early um i did a linkedin poll a couple of weeks ago where i asked what percent of those doing more than 50 million in gmv doing b2c and b2b in the americas and europe have even heard of the term mock and the winner thankfully was the less than 10 percent with 38 percent of votes i think we're still early and you know Dirk, you mentioned before there are forty-two thousand businesses doing more than 100 million a year online and historically in the commerce space we've sold to 
the mall retailers, the athletic retailers, right? There's a relatively limited set of retailers that are household brand names that we all know and love. That's been our market. But as we go forward for the next five, 10 years, you know, we're looking at the distributors out of, uh, you know, Indiana. <laughs> we're looking at the chemical plant in India, right? We're, we're looking at many, many more different types of businesses doing many more things. And a lot of those have yet to be digitized. So there's a big market ahead of us. I still think we're less than 10%. And, you know, just as a, as a funny story, I was in Minneapolis uh, talking at the retail summit. There were probably a thousand people in attendance. And I asked what percent of people had heard of Composable. And there were a handful of hands that went up in the room. And it was a pretty engaged crowd. You know, they were very interactive previously, but it was just, it was a humbling experience to find out that <laughs> virtually nobody in the room had any idea what I was talking about. So it made for a good session to step back a little bit and explain it. So I think um, we'll get there. I think this is positive. Very, very clearly the market is moving in our direction, which is great, but, um, it's, it's going to be decades of growth ahead of us, which is, which is good for us. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. And I, I think what's interesting is that many of these companies, um, they, they already figured out what is not working well for them. So they have a huge backlog of marketing requirements, uh, no matter if it's a B2B or B2C business, uh, new functionalities and so on that they want to get rolled out. And they often hear that it's not possible or not now. We, we still need to focus on maintenance or we need to upgrade first from 6.5 to 7.2 or so there's a lot of reasons why something is not happening. And when you get down to the bottom or the origin of the argument, it's often that the technology is a doorkeeper to making it possible, right? So and then now we get back to the, hey, how's Composable helping me here? Yes, it's like Lego bricks. You can assemble what you need in a quick way. And when you need to change something, you can also do that simple and easy and fast forward. You're not locked in anymore. And how is it technically achieved? Through a cloud native, microservice-based, API-first technology that empowers each of those components that you can easily pick and choose. So this is the, the market from the from the technology, from the terms and so on is early um, from the adoption, but there's no path back. And it's that we, we are having these, and, and may, may, maybe just bringing this up, this, the moment sometimes weird discussions on, on especially LinkedIn, where everybody's in their bubble and are trying to read that age into that. But a good example is where now the, the monolith fan base, so those who are sitting on these 25-year-old incumbent solutions that we developed, and you and I have been part of it, building these products, but we've developed it in a world where there was just a web shop, and we updated the web shop every four years, and it definitely should not have been done by the customer. So that was where we build what's today sitting at Salesforce, at SAP, at Oracle, at uh, Adobe. That was what we built this product for. And now just iterated. Um, and yeah, now, now Amazon figured out that one of their monitoring services uh, of uh, Amazon Prime Video wasn't architected well. So they said, okay, uh, uh, we made that too modular. Let's uh, develop that service differently um, and roll that out. Uh, maybe the microservice approach that we used for this single service itself wasn't good enough. And I see the headlines that Amazon is stepping all of microservices 
which is like, yes, they, they change 0.000001% of the code base to something else. And now everybody's throwing a party out. Welcome back to the monolith age. So that's a kind of, I don't know, just because somebody is not telling you on LinkedIn that you are an idiot, doesn't mean that you are not an idiot, right? So it's just that people are polite and, and you everybody can read whatever they want, but it's kind of, I think what it's unarguably, it's just when we look out in the world, you need to be making changes on a daily basis. So that that's, if, if you are, no, and no matter if you're a brand, a retailer, a manufacturer, a software company like commerce tools or anybody else, if we would need to wait nine months until getting something done, we are out going out of business because everything is going to change dramatically uh, from, from a customer behavior, from a market environment. Um, and the only way to deal with that is flexibility, but flexibility without adding too much complexity. So this flexibility needs to come easy. Um, and, and with the focus of innovation, I think this is one thing. So I wonder who would like to debate on, oh no, we are in a world that's super stable, the consumer behavior isn't changing and I just buy my system and I can keep it all of the time. So that, that would be the opposite. The other part is scalability. When, when we build these solutions that are now the legacy market leaders or how, how to put them, what became those, um, if you did hundred million online and revenue, this was a really big deal, right? So now hundred million revenues actually not, you, you will not get into a top kind of ranking on there. Um, and, and as you said, 42,000 companies are already there growing and scaling fast. So you need to be able to have a technical setup that's being able to scale on that level. And it might getting from hundred million to 200 or 1 billion to 2 billion, or even handling with that a huge traffic peak that you might have on a shopping event, right? So on that in combination with the need of decreasing the maintenance cost, just, just look at, I don't know, read the quarterly filings of some of these huge software companies and then figure out where's their revenue coming from. And then you figure out oh, 70% of the revenue that they make is services and maintenance said, okay, that means that most retailers are actually spending 70% of their key budget into service and maintenance and nothing that is actually shipping new features and innovation to customers. In a combination that people like to say, oh, let's, the monolith is still the right type of approach to deal in the market. I'm not saying that we need complex architecture, I'm saying that every company is different, but you need to give them flexibility. And that's what Composable is about. That's the kind of thing, right? So how do you achieve that with an architecture that's um, fitting or a technical, technical solution that's fitting the requirements of your business, right? So that I think was a good also part of the debate. Yeah, no, very, very, very good discussion we've had. Um, so we had a couple of, um, events, uh, in the last few months, actually, uh, March to end of May, almost beginning of June, right? So we also, the K5, um, uh, is coming up, um, in Germany soon. Uh, there's a huge density of retail events. You just mentioned one, um, where you have been speaking, uh, the, the key US events, and then also, uh, swept over to Europe, uh, elephant in the room definitely is shop talk. So we had shop talk, uh, US and just recently shop talk Europe, uh, in Barcelona. Um, so what's your summary? Yeah. So shop talk US is the big flagship global e-commerce conference, um, has been for a few years now. 
And it really started because shop.org, the conference it replaced, it got too big and it got too corporate. And I think that's kind of the life cycle of conferences is they become popular. And the bigger these shows become, the more senior the speakers become and the more polished and comms approved all of the talks are. And a lot of the talks this year, I mean, honestly, we're just garbage. It was, you know, innovating through change, <laughs> you know, an opera from a CEO of a public traded company about innovating through change. And, you know, what are you going to learn from that session, right? A lot of these are, are, are barely disguised advertisements for companies. And what made Shop Talk really special back in the day was you get a, a solid director of ops and somebody like that would get in front of a stage of 50 of his or her peers and say, these are the five things we screwed up and be really open and vulnerable and honest. And now it just, it feels like it's Shop Talk is becoming the thing that it replaced. Let me, let me, so one I fully agree, um, it became big with really good content, uh, really good speakers, um, sharing good insights. Of course, you need a little bit of the uh, VIP factor. You also want to see prominent no names on stage um, as well. That's definitely driving attention, interest, and so on. Um, I think where Shop Talk definitely need to look at as an example is the OMR conference um, from that perspective. After a bit, so I would say, oh, that's 70,000 people, complete different content. Yes, it's more marketing, it's more influencer, um, all true. But what they have is they have hundreds of master classes, and uh, only for the master classes created conference walls, each of them fitting 300 people. They're all running in parallel. I think it's eight or so that they have in parallel running from morning to evening around two days, where practitioners who are doing that in the company. And that might be, how do I run my social media channel? How do I, we, we had with Deloitte, I know our team a session on on uh, specific uh, commerce topics, uh, how to release things quicker and so on, but they really made it tangible. And this is how they got not just only um, a decision maker on the company getting there, which we all would like to have when we're there as a vendor sponsoring the show, but they, you also get the the field from the team was actually doing that to the conference and learn um, from from the others. So there's there's more content. You have interesting people on stage. You have uh, um, sometimes controversial discussions, definitely on stage that are a little bit polarizing. But it's all about content. I think this is what OMR always has done great um, and and increasing on providing some of the best content out there, um, as an example, in a different industry and space, just slightly touch the commerce. And the question that I, that, that probably nobody can answer is, but as shop talk, isn't founder run right anymore and OMR is it's PE run. Is it now one of the reasons that nobody is caring for that product as much anymore? Anil and Zia and that whole founding team were, I mean, they were passionate, very, very passionate about keeping it content focused. So definitely miss them. Um, I'm sure the conference is making a lot of money for their PE elders, um, but it kind of comes at the quality. But it is probably says a positive call out here, right? So because at the moment, it's still the most relevant show, especially in the US, um, they're expanding also in Europe over here, but there's so much potential for more. Yeah, if I bring that bigger, it's still really, yeah, 
get your hands dirty and work on the concept, on the content, on the speakers. Well, and it, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but um, Mach 2, which is the big flagship conference for the Mach Alliance, yeah. could credibly emerge as a competitor to Shop Talk. And if last year was any indication, this year is going to be twice as big, twice as better. We're well over seven figures on spend. I mean, this is going to be a really well done content focus. So let's uh, uh, jump into that. Uh, when and where is it going to happen? It is going to be in Amsterdam, June 13th and 14th. And what's really great and differentiated about it, it is an entirely brand-led event. So we're very strict about keeping an 80-20 representation of 80% brands, 20% vendors. And that was kind of a problem with ShopTalk and Shop.org and others. It became a big vendor fest, which, I mean, it's fun. We know, we know a lot of people. It's good to catch up. But... That's not the purpose. The purpose is to go out and bring all of this cool new technology out there. Um, we also keep the male-female spe speaker ratio to 50-50, which is pretty differentiated. Um, we have Niall Edwards, our friends from Lego, um, and then Danielle Deliberti from Soma Station. So they're both Mock Alliance ambassadors. They are emceeing the entire event. Um, we've got dozens of customer sessions from Primark to Ikea, Very Group, PepsiCo, Vodafone. Um, and we've got some really fantastic parties planned as well. Because look, I mean, that's where a lot of business actually happens. It's 11 o'clock at night on a terrace with a beer in hand, right? <laughs> so we have a lot of good places for people to connect outside of a formal venue. So I think it'll be a good event. So. Let's say I'm a I'm a e-commerce manager, um, architect, wherever in the company, um, and I would like to attend. So I hear about it. Um, can I still get a ticket? And if so, where? We are rapidly running out of tickets on the brand side. The venue is almost completely packed. We're at the Del Mar Theater, um, so it's a huge space, but we're almost at capacity. Um, we probably have another 100 or so tickets left, if that. So go to mockalliance.org. If you're on the brand side, you can get tickets for free. Um, if you're on the vendor side, we are out of tickets. Um, we, again, are really strict about that 80-20 uh, cap. And we are just straight out of tickets. And <laughs> I have actually some fellow board members to thank. But, you know, last year I would say, well, what about this investor? You know, we, we really need to get this person in. And, uh, you know, thanks to Jasmine for organizing it and, uh, and Sonia and they, they said no, and, um, I didn't challenge it. And after the conference, I actually thanked them both because keeping vendors and non, uh, brands out was probably the best thing we could have done for the conference. And it worked out really well as a result. Okay. So if you listen to that and, um, you uh, want to attend, um, on the website now, um, or uh, reach out to Kelly on LinkedIn and see what he can do for you. Now, that's the one you want to avoid. But um, so, some tickets left. Definitely a great opportunity um, to learn more about composable um, uh, modern retail technologies and learn from those who already embraced um, that path um, early. Yeah. Um, so, let's step back a little bit. Um, and let's look at the macroeconomic environment. Um, so we're obviously in some kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, recession. Should we say the R word here? I don't know. Um, you know, we've seen some bank failures. Um, 
where where do you think we're at? I mean, it's this is largely your your job is to look at the overall environment. Um, what are you thinking here? Yeah, this is not the magic mirror here, right? So uh, um, everybody is guessing, okay, are we already at the bottom? Um, and then how do public markets recover on the one end? Uh, what does it mean from an uh, individual perspective? Uh, how do inflation rates, which is also globally different, uh, we have to say, so we should not 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 uh, same for all. But we, we, we'll stop further increasing. Um, uh, what are what are additional risk factors um, out there? Um, so on the one end. I think, um, and, and this is also what we see on, on overall behavior from the market, is that that current risk factors that we've seen, so on the one end from drift from the war in Europe and the Ukraine, um, uh, supply chain shortages, energy problems, so this is mostly on, on Europe, uh, inflation, uh, both in Europe and in the US. Um, so those kind of things have been factored in today, right? So, um, and uh, the heart, it sounds, right? So, but it's already accepted to a certain extent, right? So, of course, so working against it and, um, but known and companies, especially, and we're talking here about the, the, um, uh, business side of it and, and retail, um, now realized, okay, what, what do we paused maybe on initiatives and investments for the last nine months? Um, we now need to move forward, um, because we'll, we will not be able to pause it for another nine months or shouldn't. Um, and therefore we see on a, some end, I would say what, what people would call a recovery, um, at, at commerce tools, we treat this carefully. We always say we have one optimistic eye and we have one paranoid eye and we need to keep them open, uh, uh, at the same time. The, there's still a lot of not so hidden, um, challenges, I would say, right? So with that, uh, commercial real estate market in the US. Um, I think that's a big question mark um, that uh, most of the um, investment bankers, the facts, all of the market have in mind at the moment. I heard San Francisco real estate is now going for $200 per square foot for office space, which is insane. No, you need to see. So you have that being so many construction sites happening over the last five years. Prices skyrocketed. And when you now look at the utilization of the office space, it's at Bandy 20% in San Francisco, New York, everywhere in the Niger or inner city parts of the Niger cities. Um, and at some point, A, these, these contracts come up for renewal within the next one, two or three years. And there you would see a lot of churn, downsizing and so on. A lot of companies already negotiated themselves out of expensive lease contracts. Um, and then the financing piece of it. So. Before we did it at a zero zero point five something like that interest rate. If now uh, the real estate companies need to refinance on a five percent um, with a lower utilization, lower willingness to pay for the rent, a uh, smaller market um, that they are addressing, obviously we are running it. So it, it's not something that that right. So probably we can't explain perfectly. Um, we would say there's a lot of content uh, uh, on, on 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 the news um, uh, out there, um, but. This is definitely a challenge. Um, will we anyway see more challenges in the future? Yes, definitely. Right. So we, we, this comes in waves, right? So with, uh, uh, 2008, uh, banking crisis with dot-com bubble 2000, we're now, um, there's in a, in a inflation 
recession and partially combined challenges that we are having um, at the moment um, that we are going through. Um, the density has increased a little bit um, uh, for the moment um, as, as things started to overlap. But at the end, things come and go. And uh, we we need to well, not get used to it in a way that we accept the crisis by itself, but we need to develop resilience as individuals and as businesses um, to deal with this. So in short, I think everything that we have seen so far is factored in, it's factored into the public market and so on. And probably we're somewhere close to the bottom and other some markets are already recovering. Um, but what's also clear is uh, we will not be back to 21, something like that. Nor should be. Right. So no, no, should be. That's the other kind of thing. But it's not that we, everything will be, uh, I don't know, milk and honey or um, what's funny, good, good. Well, actually, I'd, I'd take 2021 for like six months, but then we'll go back to North. <laughs> that's it. I think things will normalize over the next few years, but it still might be that we see the one or two bigger crisis elements or impacts yeah. also coming into the market. And I think the resilience that we all build or should have built within COVID and then now afterwards um, should also help us to to deal with what kind of things. And what's key, and you talk about this a lot, is is building a sustainable business that's basically cash flow positive or close to it, that's sustainable, that's growing, didn't over fundraise. Um, you know, there are a lot of our peers out there who are in really precarious situations right now by having overextended themselves in good times when money was free. And thankfully we're, we're a good spot here. So we can ride this out as long as it takes. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, well, we sometimes are talking about other vendors, but I think this made uh, 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 big news um, about a week ago. So let's maybe just uh, touch it on a high level. Uh, Shopify um, made uh, recent news. So um, what happened and how does it impact the enterprise commerce market? Yeah, it's look, it's pretty big. Um, so they got out of the fulfillment logistics business by selling Deliver. Um, they acquired it for a little over $2 billion in July of last year. And they just sold it to Flexport for uh, mostly write-off. Um, what was the final price on the I don't know. Is saying, right? You can also argue that they sold it to themselves to a certain <laughs> investor in Flexport, right? So it's a good, it's a, it's a non-face losing event, you could say, because the business is still there and they owned it in a different vehicle. But yeah, it's a definitely... Um, Given the short period of time, it was an expensive experiment, at least for now. If if anything, though, I will give Toby and the management team their credit for realizing that they made a mistake and then correcting course. Because I do think a lot of folks out there will just keep going to save face. Oh, yeah. And maybe, maybe let's so, and I, I fully agree, right? So this is not here a finger pointing kind of thing. And also, the, a mistake, it's maybe only in hindsight. If you look at, um, the market, you serve so many small businesses out there. Um, they have uh, operational challenges. So from how do I accept payment? How do I finance my inventory? How do I actually ship things? Um, providing end-to-end -end and building your own kind of Amazon Prime counterpart um, on there actually sounds uh, promising. And I would argue that in an environment, so if financing or money would have been 
free like it was in 21 for another three years and they would have scaled that up, it might actually have worked out. So if, if you look from a past perspective onto that, it was probably actually one bet that you could go. You can always have a different opinion on if that's the right industry or category to go for. But I, I can understand that this was a bet to go for and, and Shopify is a, a huge valuation. Uh, cash wasn't, wasn't that expensive. And now in hindsight, they said, okay, it's not working out anymore. It's not good for us. Let's change it. And I think this is something that, well, it's normal if you need to take bets and if all of them would work out, right? So then you're a magician, right? So it's a, I think it's a fair point, but it's definitely a huge impact to their business, right? So it also came with a bunch of layoffs, I think, right? Yeah. They did another 20%. Yeah. Um, and that was on top of layoffs they've done, you know, earlier as well. Um, so I, yeah, it's, it's a tough environment for them right now, but it sent their stock up, what, 30%, something like that. Efficiency at the end, it's about efficiency, right? So, and then they realized that they can get more efficient out of that. The hard kind of move it is obviously, right? So on an individual level, um, from a company perspective, um, looking forward, you need to get economics of scale, right, um, with this, um, I, I can understand why the shareholders appreciated it, at least on the short term. And now I think they need to decide the long term. I think this is what they need to figure out what kind of company are they, right? So is it an SMB company? Is it a enterprise company? Is it a payment company? Is it all of that? Or does it want to help? I think that's, I don't know, make it move. Your, 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 so our friend Rick, I think, wrote a long article about it <laughs> um, that, that put it in a good good perspective, right? Which direction do you think they're going to take? Because they've got, like Rick said, you know, they, they have three doors to choose here, right? They could be the enterprise vendor, start actually competing head-to-head -head with us and not just doing a components marketing campaign, right? That And what's nice about that is, from their standpoint, is it's good, solid, predictable revenue, it's low churn. It's higher margin. You know, the problem with the SMB space is there's just so much churn all the time. You know, the other option is they could, you know, arm the rebels, as they say, you know, and help with all these small businesses and do loans. And, you know, the other option is, you know, partner more closely with Stripe and do payments, you know, are they a payments provider? And their messaging is all over the place. You know, the earnings calls talk a lot about enterprise, but then all of their website promotional material talks about SMB to the financial analysts. They're talking about payments. Um, you know, it feels like they need somebody to come in, but you know, where, where do you think they're going to come down here? Right. So challenging because a, it's such a successful company. Um, they, they developed so amazingly over the last couple of years. Right. So they, 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 they therefore it's, we, we're you're looking from a really high level on, on critics where actually most companies on this planet will never get to that excellence, right? So that's maybe A, and now in that position where they are, when you're already that big, uh, what's the valuation now? 60 billion, something like that. And that's only valuation, right? So if we look at the, the revenues, I think subscription is at 1.5 billion on an ARR now, which is a product. And then you have all of the marketplace payments and so on third party on top of it, which is even bigger. So it's a, it's really huge business. And I think the challenge that you get when you get to that size is how do you now double and triple that going the next five, seven years forward on a profitable, efficient basis, right? So that's, um, 
the magic question, right? So is the SMB market long-term large enough? Continuing the churn and so on, but I believe they have the best SMB offering out there, honestly. They do. Um, uh, in, in combination of all the big components uh, that they have across marketplace, add-ons, payment, and so on. It's, it's really good. Um, and I don't see anybody really being able to put a threat, um, the, the short or midterm term here against them. Um, and then the question is, okay, can you do enough on the SMB and can you sell more into these SMB accounts, right? So they have POS, um, as one and so on, but, but that's a question. Um, of course, then the natural answer is we go up a market enterprise and this is what then wall street and so on tries to tell them. And therefore they also have the messaging, but if we look behind the messaging and forget all of that, what's what people are read here, see, and so on, you can only do enterprise and SNB together if you have two separate products. They're completely separate products, separate go-to-market, separate, no I mean, just and, and the DNA that's different. Everybody who's in technology will understand that immediately. And it starts already with the database platform that you choose, how you, the, the programming language, the frameworks, the, you're solving complete different problems, right? So it's like, and you're in it. So you either build a car for a car race to go faster on the corners, or you build a car to transport a lot of people. If you try to do both, you will either not be the fastest growing a lot of the corners, or you will not transport the most people. So you cannot get that done both, uh, if you are either truly enterprise or truly SMB. And, and Toby knows it. Um, I, I would say the majority of Shopify should also know that or hopefully know it, or probably doesn't even matter. Um, and there, and this comes with the compromise and it's the same discussion that we're having at commerce towards also always, should we go more lower mid market? Should we go SNB? At what point do we need to provide a different product that's more tailored to the requirements and the use cases? Where's that line? Exactly. Where's that line? Right. So in for us, it's definitely clear. We, yes, we can do mid market, definitely upper mid market, but already in the mid market, in the middle, there's a line coming and it's definitely not SMB. That would be yeah. a complete different set of product. Um, uh, partners, market, and so on that we would need to do. And that's a huge complexity. You cannot just simply say, hey, let's throw 500 people on that problem and we will solve it because that's how you're perceived as a company. How do you how do you argue the customer that's sitting in the middle? Do I give him product A or product B? And then you give him product A, but half of the features or of product B once later on. So, oh no, you need a library. So it's a, it's a huge mess that every software company tries to avoid. And some that have tried mostly failed on doing so um, uh, over the last decade. So, and that's what everybody is aware. And enterprise might long-term be the logical conclusion, but as we all know, it comes with such a high opportunity cost related to it. I think we would see that. So we would see a lot of more marketing um, making it short, um, but, but I would wonder if we see something else in the payments and Stripe. I think this is a really interesting space for them. Um, where, where maybe a combination of SMB payments and creating noise on the enterprise is maybe at least for the next 12 months of uh, the execution and then we'll have to see. Yeah. Whatever happens there, I mean, you have to respect a, a founder-led team grinding it out. I mean, he could be sitting on a beach somewhere <laughs> without a care in the world, but he obviously is passionate about his business. So something you obviously share with him. Um, so switching gears a little bit, um, our partner Algolia recently made some news and I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting and love for you to just explain a little bit more. 
Yeah. So let's let's uh, maybe maybe uh, do that together, right? So what is interesting is Algolia that had been long time in the market, started on the SMB at mid market, evolved over to the enterprise with a different product um, over the last couple of years, um, coming um, from document-based search um, technology that we know on the underlying technologies from the uh, solars and lucines um, in the world for those who are uh, in uh, software development or closer to that um, as the underlying principle and concept. They acquired um, an innovative startup company, I think it was Australia-based, right? So they also changed the name. I think initially it was called Sachari and then it was Search.io. Search.io, yeah, that is. Thank you. Uh, which um, focused on... Um, uh, vector-based search um, on it, um, new concept. Uh, maybe you can help me explaining that in a second. Uh, where's the difference and actually value uh, from a business uh, between the two concepts? And why does it help me on finding the products that I'm looking for faster um, on it? But maybe just to wrap up the story. So they acquired the company. They further continued to invest for the last couple of months in the product. And then they integrated it um, into their offering um, and just went live with the neural search, yeah. I think how, how, how they called it, um, and and set of APIs and their customers can choose what is what is basically the index that they're going to have. Yeah, it's really big. So vector search is sweeping the market. Um, Constructor was out first with this and yeah. has, has done a really good job at the enterprise level. Um, but what, what it is, is um, with document-based search, think of it as like text on a physical piece of paper, right? You're looking for attributes on a piece of paper. And there are certainly um, search products that can enrich that for you and add more attributes. But fundamentally, you're, you're scanning for text in a document. And that's okay, right? If you're searching for you know, an iPhone 14 Pro Max, that's probably fine. You can do just a direct match. But... Most products aren't like that. And I'll give you a good example, like jeans, for example, if you're searching for some jeans, you know, you might search for night out jeans, right? Or a party dress or some attribute like that, stylish jeans, right? And you won't find that on a product feed from Levi's, right? They, they don't tag their products that way. Um, and if you search for hip jeans, it'll probably return a bunch of jeans that have the term hip measurements in the description. So document-based search has its place, but it's fundamentally limited. And what vector search does is if enough people go through and search for, you know, Saturday night out dress, and they click through to a specific segment of those dresses, it's going to associate those dresses with that term. And over time, those dresses are going to rise. So it's it's a really cool system. Um, it is dramatically better than the document-based search that, you know, Indeca and, and um, Lucidworks and a lot of those others have been on the market with for a long time. And I'm really excited to see innovation in the space. I love seeing competitors go head to head and fight it out over product features. I think it's ultimately good for consumers and good for the market when there are head to head competitors trying to out-innovate each other. I mean, it's, I guess it's raw capitalism, isn't it, <laughs> at some point? No, absolutely. And then definitely so, congrats to Agolia um, on the on the product releases and innovation. And as you said, right, so there's Constructor um, uh, 
who, who started first with that having having huge traction in the market as well. And it's good to see more and more companies um, adapting um, in that way and providing more value um, to the market. Um, I'm looking. I'm looking at the time because we both we both have travel coming up um, here as we're closing, and that's probably a wrap, right? Um, I'm actually looking forward to the next session that we're doing uh, in a similar one-on-one and uh, debate over a bunch of topics. So I, I hope that for everybody who's listening to the episode, you'll find that um, a little bit interesting. See, we need we need to improve the format though. We each need a beer in hand, and we need this to be about ten o'clock at night. Yeah. It's early after the <laughs> follow-up meetings here happening, so it's not the not the perfect perfect kind of setup to have a have a long enough debate or even random <laughs> the topics in our industry. We'll bring microphones to our next uh, evening outing. Yeah, actually, you know what? Uh, we're going to be at Oktoberfest, so we can do it there. It's <laughs> not noise, but we can try to make a. <laughs> see. All right. Well, I'm glad we could meet up in person. Always a pleasure, and uh, thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. Thank you, Teddy. Thanks, everybody.